Alright, so we're looking at Psalm chapter 42, and that includes Psalm 43. So in a lot of older manuscripts, they're not separated, they're combined. And if you've read through both of them, right, um, you can see that it's clearly a continuation of the previous psalm, which is not uncommon in the psalms to happen. <clears throat> so we're going to look at Psalm 42 in light of coronavirus. Now, we will talk about the coronavirus a little bit, right? Because I think there's some things that, in the psalm, that impact how we live our lives today in the midst of that. So, let's look at the structure of the psalm like we did last time, right? We looked at kind of the outline of it, so I want to present that to you. So the first part of it is the introduction, right, which we call verse zero. Oddly enough, we have a verse zero. Um, and then the second part is verses one through five, which presents this longing for God. And then in 6 through 11, we get the fact that the author is overwhelmed and forgotten by God, they feel like. And then in the end, in, verse four, in chapter 43, we get this vindication and joyous return to the Lord. So let's look first at this verse 0 that says, For the director of music, a masco of the sons of Korah, which just means a song. Right? So who is this person? Korah. He's mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22, which we get this long list of descendants, the descendants of Kohath, Aminadab, his son, Korah, his son, Aser, his son. Yes, I got to say Aser in church. Not every day you get to do that. And I pointed it out for some reason. So Korah is this guy who's been born here. And he is appointed by David. We see in verse 31, These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. And so this psalm is written by this man's sons. They wrote this. <clears throat> so the psalm is going to begin with this longing for God in verses 1 through five. Verse one says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I hope I don't have coronavirus. You're trying to stress me out with all that cough. I know. It's I'm you sorry. Get two more and we're leaving. So part of the things, one of the things we're going to see in this psalm is there's this separation from the writer of the psalm and the worship in the temple. He's not able to attend temple worship for some reason. Most likely this was written during the diaspora. So the period of time when the Babylonians, the Assyrians came in, conquered them, and carried them all away, right? And so they're not able to attend worship. And I think that's what is being represented here, it appears. And so here's the author saying, look, I'm not able to go to the temple. I'm not able to worship with all of God's people combined together as one. And this is what it does to me. It causes me as a deer pants for the streams of water. So my soul pants for you, my God. Right? So his soul is like the deer and the Lord is like the water. Just like we saw in the last Psalm, right? In Psalm 1, where the water feeds the tree 
The worship of God feeds our soul. And that's what the author is trying to portray here. He's panting, he's desiring, he's looking after this worship, and he's not able to get it. Except alone, right? And that's just not the same as when you gather together with God's people and worship together as one. So he continues in verse 2 and he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? There's something about gathering together as the church, right? As one body, in which we experience God that's different when we do so alone. It's not the same. And so, for instance, today, all across our world, there are very few people in attendance at church because most churches, not just in America, right? All over France, Italy, UK, all over the world, services have been canceled. And so God's people are unable to gather together because of a virus. And so these people that are separated from God, granted the first week, no big deal, right? Second week, get a little more difficult. But if this continues, right, what would it be like if we were unable to gather as God's people, as his people, and be able to worship him? I would hope our souls would thirst for the living God, right? If they don't, we have to check what we really believe, where our hope is, where our trust is, right? How we feel even about the church. I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church. But that doesn't make the church the enemy, right? It doesn't mean that the church is the bad guy because of individuals that may have done things, right? That's just reality of life. We still gather together as the church, no matter what. Because the church is a representation of Jesus to this world. And so we need to gather together. It's when we experience the living God in a way we can't alone. Churches all over America right now are streaming video of themselves to people in homes alone. And it's not going to be the same. Verses 3 and 4 reads, My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He feels like his tears are his food. He's feasting upon his tears. He has nothing to feast upon, right? We feast upon our praise of God. Our souls are fed when we praise the Lord. And all he has now are his tears, which are not going to satisfy him. Why? Because he's separated from God. And there are those who will mock us, right? Um, I've seen it already on Facebook, right, where people have posted, oh, well, churches can't meet, who cares? That kind of stuff, right? Or the one with two praying hands together and someone said, this doesn't work without soap and water. Yeah, right? Um, well, they don't understand 
just how powerful God truly is. Right? And that's one of the things that we're going to see in this passage, right? He goes on in verse 4 and he says, These things I remember, right? As he's pouring out his soul to God, he remembers how he used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. There's a sense in which when we gather together, we're under the very hand of God to protect us during that time period. And we gather together with shouts of joy and praise, not fear and trembling, right? And we do so among the festive throng. We don't understand here in America what it's like to live as a persecuted church, right? We feel, and I've seen this as well on Facebook already, oh my, I can't go to church today because of the coronavirus. Um, If you had gone, you probably would have gotten sick, maybe, right? Maybe. Let's say you did. Most of us will live. You might get a little sick. You might get really sick, but most of us would live. If you live in what's called a 1040 window, right, that area where the church is persecuted the most, a lot of them go to church every Sunday, feeling that this is very true of them, knowing that even though they feel the protection of God, right, they know God is protecting them. They gather together in shouts of joy and praise among this festive throng, knowing at any moment soldiers could waltz in and start shooting people. That's a reality they live with every time they gather together, and yet they remember God has protected them in the past, and so they have hope in the next time they gather. So where's our hope? Do we thirst for God so much that if it came to that, if the government said, you can't gather together, would we do so? Would we be willing to break the law if that's what they made the law be? That there was no more church? Where's our hope? Where's our trust? Where's our faith? Verse 5, the last part of the section, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God. If you've gone an extended period of time without gathering together with the church, you become downcast. Right? If you don't have the continual encouragement that we gather, that we get from one another, that one anotherness, right? If we don't receive that on a continual basis, we will become depressed because we begin to lose our hope. And here the author says, Look, it's going to happen. I know it. We get there and we have to question, why are we here? That's right. I need to now put my hope in God. I need to put my faith in Him. For I will one day praise Him. I will praise Him. And the truth is, it may not be this side of heaven. But we will one day gather together eternally praising Him with our Savior and our God. But we put the hope in the fact that He will allow us today gather to gather under His protection. 
So he's gonna shift gears a little bit in the next section here. And he's gonna express this fact that he feels overwhelmed and he feels overwhelmed because he feels like God has forgotten him. So he admits it, right? His soul is downcast. He says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, right? And so what he's saying is, look, I will remember you and the things you've done from all across Israel. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. So this is what it feels like when you're depressed, oftentimes, right? You feel like you're in the depths, that the roar of the waterfalls are overcoming you. And he feels like it's God that's doing this, right? He says, your waves, your breakers, they sweep over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And yet, even though that's the life that he's living, that's the place he finds himself, right? He still knows that God is the one within him directing the Lord's love within him. And so at night, even though he's alone, the song of the Lord is with him, he says. And it's like a prayer that goes up to the Lord of his life. And so he says, I say to God, my rock. Why does he use this phrase, God, my rock? If you're in the midst of turbulent waters, the one thing you need more than anything else is a rock to cling to. And he says, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? He feels as though God has forgotten him. He knows better, right? He's already expressed otherwise. But this is where he's at. When he's unable to gather together in worship of God with the people of God, he begins to feel as though God has forgotten him because he's lacking the encouragement of the body, right? He's not part of the bigger body. <coughs> the hand's not encouraging the elbow, right? The hand's not touching the nose because right now that gets you sick, right? The other hand is stopping the other hand from touching the mouth, right? We can laugh, right, about that, but those are the things we do as the body, right? When we gather together, we encourage healthy, soulful worship of God, right? It is kind of a cute metaphor, right? But it is what we do, even if it means don't do that, right? And when, he's, when you feel forgotten by God, when you've gotten to this point, you are mourning. And oftentimes what you feel like is that everyone is against you. You feel oppressed by the enemy. And the problem is everyone becomes the enemy. Even though everyone is not the enemy. This is just where a depressed person gets. And so we need one another. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. 
saying to me all day long, where is your God? Do we really physically suffer mortal agony when people taunt us? When people say, where's your God? We don't really physically suffer, right? We're not about to really die. But when you're really depressed and what you need is more than anything else is God and the world is saying to you, there is no God. He's not here. You have nothing to cling to. You have no hope. Death is the next best thing. And that's what he feels like. Why my soul... He repeats, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Yet again, right, he reminds himself, put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So now he shifts again to vindication and the joyous return to the worship. And so he cries out, Vindicate me, my God. Plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. He sees everyone around him as his enemy. And he's asking for God for protection. The truth is, when we're down, when we're depressed, there are those who may try to take advantage of that. Right? They simply will. And an unfaithful nation will do that. If the world sees us in a place in which we are weak, they will oftentimes, individuals in the midst of that, will attack. And so he's crying out for rescue. Because they, these people are deceitful and they are wicked. You are God, my stronghold. He recognizes, right? He's trying to remind himself that God is the strength that he needs. And yet he feels like God's rejected him. Why have you rejected me, he says. Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? So he cries out, send me your light, your faithful care. Let your light and your care, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Because you see, where God dwells upon his holy mountain, that picture that he's presenting here, is the place of ultimate worship of God. That's where, in the end, all of us will be gathered together to worship the Lord. Then he says, I will go to the altar of God. To God, my judge, my joy, and my delight. I will praise you with a lyre. Oh God, my God. <clears throat> he recognizes that what he is, his soul needs more than he, anything else is joy, and he's lost that. And his only hope to return that is to gather together with God's people in praise and worship of the Lord. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why just so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior, my God. He needs to remind himself over and over again 
of the truth of where he needs to place his hope in this difficult time. So some of the things that come up over and over again in this is that he needs to remember the things he's forgotten. Right? Throughout the scriptures, over and over again, you hear the Lord say, Remember this. Remember this. Remember this. Do not forget. Right? And here in the psalm, three times, verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, right, under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I remember these times. When we're at our lowest, when we're struggling the most, we need to remind ourselves of the times in the past where we've experienced God in the midst of the congregation, in the midst of His people. We need to remind ourselves that that is the life God has for us. Verse 6, he says, My soul is downcast within me. Right? So when we're depressed, he says, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. We need to remember all the things the Lord has done, right? That's why God has given us all of the scriptures, so that we can see all the works God has done for his people. But then we need to also remember all the things in our own lives that God has done for us. We need to remember all the things that we have heard, the stories others tell of the things God has done for them. Right? That's why we need to gather together. Because when we do and we're downcast, we can go to one another. I know it's hard because you've forgotten because of where you're at. So right now, I'll remember for you. I remember a time when, right? I remember. I know it's hard to remember right now. So for you, I will remember. That's why we need one another. Psalm 42, verse 9, he cries out to the God of his rock, right? Why have you forgotten me? The Lord never forgot him. He knows that. He's forgotten what it's like to feel as though God remembers him is what he's truly experiencing. So I want to look at some of these verses throughout the Old Testament where God tells his people to remember and then what happens when they forget. Deuteronomy 4.9 He says, Only be careful. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So God is speaking to Moses, right? And he's saying, look, I allowed you to cross the Red Sea. I saved you from Pharaoh's army. I protected you in the wilderness. I kept you safe and I've delivered you to the promised land. Do not forget the things you've seen, right? We have seen miracles done by God. Guard those in your hearts. Do not let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. And then this important piece here, right? Teach them to your children, to their children after them. Do not let anyone forget what the Lord's done. It's so important for us when the Lord works in our own lives to share those stories with one another.
right? Because they're such an encouragement. You never know when God says, hey, share I did this for you with someone. God's usually doing that because they're in a place they're not remembering. And they need you to remember for them. And be that encouragement for them. And we need to do this with our children. And our children's children. Because when we don't, Judges 2.10, we read of, after that whole generation, the generation that came out of the desert, right? they left Egypt as children. A generation died. That generation was raised up. They took the promised land. They, kept, they saw the walls of Jericho fall. And it says, after that generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that means they died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. They didn't tell the stories. They didn't share what God had done with them to their own children. And then we get the book of Judges, which is a horrible book. Right? That is just a bad book on the history of Israel. People do so many things there that they shouldn't do. By the end of the book, it's so bad, the author refuses to give the names of those involved. Hosea 4.1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. This is where they ended up. And it's real easy when difficulties come, when struggles come, for us to lose faith. When we lose faith, we lose love. And we fail to acknowledge that God is the God of this earth. Ecclesiastes 1.11 says, No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Because they don't share their stories. Right? I love that my daughter knows stories not just about me or about my parents, but about my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents. Right? Those are important stories to pass on. We need to remember the generations that came before us. We need to pass those stories on because they're an encouragement, right? The fact that we had a Catholic priest in our family, right? Who would expect such a thing? But to tell the story of his, the end of his life is important for my children to hear. Right? How he died. Right? How he served the Lord. And what that meant for him. Right? Those are important things for them to hear and to see his faithfulness to so many others. Right? Because he placed his faith in the Lord, not in the church. Right? And when I say the church, I don't mean the gathering of the people of God. I mean the government of the church. Right, because he was he was willing to go where the church wasn't and die where the church wasn't, and as a result, the church cast him off after death. Right, and said he was no longer Catholic. How weird is that? 
But his faithfulness tells a story. And it's important for our children and our children's children to hear those stories. Right? Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Right? It's, we have to hear the stories. But not only that, right? when we hear the stories and we gather together, we see God at work. We experience his faithfulness firsthand in the midst of the congregation. I have seen and experienced miracles happen in the lives of others. In my life, right? In my mother's life. She had cancer. It returned. Was all over her bones. And a month later, was gone without treatment. What was that apart from the answer of prayer? If we had placed our hope in science, science said she had no hope but God. And so we live life together, doing life with one another, right? This one anotherness that we see throughout the New Testament, doing life as the church. We build one another up. We invest in each other's lives. We love one another. We sacrifice for one another. We speak the words of God to one another. And more than anything else, we praise the Lord and worship Him together as one body, doing this life, this church, one another together as one. Amen.